mystery. In our history. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to the Mystery in Our History podcast, where we take an in-depth look at all things urban legend and conspiracy theory related, and how they came to be. I'm J.R. Supa, and joining me, as always, is Chris Berry. Hello. So last week, we talked about the Velisca Axe murders in our Haunted series, and the gross incompetence of the local police. Now, the murder was never solved, but one thing that kept coming up was fingerprinting, and how even if they had found fingerprints and tried to use them, it probably um, wouldn't have helped anyway because fingerprinting was such a new thing. And this made me think about fingerprinting and launched me down a thought rabbit hole um, about the history of fingerprinting and how far we've come in that whole area of uh, law enforcement. And then I thought about where we're going and it led us to this week's episode. And so this week's episode is going to be just a little bit different compared to the episodes we've done so far because um, we're still going to be discussing a conspiracy theory, but this episode is going to have a little more uh, speculation, uh, mystery, and a little less of the evidence or the history (laughs) Uh, because this week's episode is um, going to do, we're going to cover databases and conspiracy theories about the database. So let's dive right in. Now, first, obviously, we have to do the history of the database. Unfortunately, it is not interesting. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a little slow here, but But it's need to know stuff. Exactly. Like, you have to understand where it came from, what it, what's, you know, where it's gone, and et cetera. So for those of you who do not know, A database management system allows a person to organize, store, and retrieve data from a computer. It is a way of communicating with a computer's stored memory. In the very early years of computers, punch cards were used for input, output, and some data storage. Uh, Punch cards offered a fast way to enter data and then retrieve it. Herman Hollerith is given credit for adapting the punch cards used for weaving looms to act as the memory of a mechanical for a mechanical tabulating machine in 1890. So that's how far back this goes. And much later, the database was uh, brought about. It's crazy, too, because, like, there's still... Obviously, punch cards are still a thing, but now they're just, like, way, way, way more advanced. They got, like, they'll track what jobs you're doing. Mm-hmm. They'll track... They'll just track where you are with your GPS on your phone, that kind of stuff. It's And it's crazy to think, nuts. like... There's a tabulating machine back in 1890, but if you remember, like, remember when we talked about ancient aliens, there's technically, like, a 2,000-year-old computer. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? So, like, it's this, just wild. Now, that's a totally different topic. It might not have been man-made, but it's just crazy to think about, like, we think about computers because they're an everyday occurrence, but in the 50s, they took up an entire, like, room or floor oh, of yeah. a building or, or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, databases have played a very important part in the recent um, evolution of computers. The first computer programs were developed in the early 50s and focused almost completely on coding languages and algorithms. At the time, computers were basically giant calculators and data, like names, phone numbers, etc., 
uh, were considered the leftovers of processing information. Computers were just starting to become commercially available, and when business people started using them for real-world purposes, this leftover data suddenly became important. So it was funny, doing research on this episode, uh, I was looking up um, basically the, the UNIVAC or the ERA um, 11001, and if you look that up on Google, you'll just see the sheer size of these Goliaths. Oh, yeah. And these these were the biggest computers available in the 1950s. And the funny thing is, is the storage of the, the, the data storage was 48 kilobytes. And that was considered amazing at the time. So it's just like a, a, a computer that's taking an entire room with 48 kilobytes of storage. But now we have, right. you know, phones in our pockets. My, mine has 32 gigs and i know that's low this this episode alone when i edit it and upload it is going to be at least four gigs yeah like think about that that's that's one video is what four thousand times yes and that's and and, and that's all on a tiny chip and and back then these were reel-to-reel tapes going back and forth all the data was just on these tapes yes it's just wild so enter the database management systems or dbms database as we said is a collection of information it can be organized so that the system can access and pull specific information in 1960 charles w bachman designed the integrated database system or uh, idbs and ibm not wanting to be left out created a database system of their own known as ims both database systems are described as the forerunners of navigational databases. It's funny, too, because I, I bet you these databases look like a comma-separated value, like file, if you will, mm-hmm. like separated by commas and semicolon, but not at all like a list. or. Um, so it's just like a, I think like it a was, data dump. Yeah, essentially. Have you ever used, um, what is it, Microsoft Access? Uh, I don't think I have, actually. That is, I think... If I remember it correctly, that's what I used when I was an accountant. Um, it was like okay. that in Excel. So you like you create the database in Access, and then Excel mm-hmm. like connects to it, so you can just pull stuff out. It's just a giant dumping ground, so that you can like create formulas for it. Oh, that's beautiful. It's crazy. I, all this stuff is makes my life so much easier. Oh, yeah. today. So it's just like for the most part, databases. That's exactly what they do, and that's why we're covering this. Is because, well, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, quick little timeline: 1960s computerized databases start. When the use of computers becomes a more cost-effective option for private organizations, there are two popular database models, as we discussed. Um, a database system that provided a commercial success were the Sabre system, and that was used by IBM to help American Airlines manage its uh, reservation systems. So that's kind of like where this all came about and started. Yeah, um, and that makes that makes sense. Yeah. Because at some point, I mean, the cost of the computer database system is going to pay for itself and versus the continued wages of some employee tracking it. Oh, yeah. And. I always feel bad for saying stuff like that, but I mean, as we've seen going forward, when one job dies, usually there's a demand for some other job or... or Right. Well, and that's kind of the thing is like, not to say that jobs aren't being lost and it's terrible when like somebody's job gets replaced by, you know, an automation of some kind, but for every piece of machinery that replaces a human, 
the job of maintaining that machinery is then created. Exactly, exactly. And uh, again, just like other innovations come along usually Mm -hmm. when the loss of a job happens. Right. So 1970 to 72, E.F. Codd published an important paper to propose the use of a relational database model. And his idea changed the way people thought about databases. In this model, the database schema, schema, or <laughs> or logical organization is disconnected from physical information storage, and this became the standard principle for database systems. In the 1970s, continuing, two major relational database system prototypes were created between 74 and 77. Um, they were Ingress, which was developed at UBC, and System R by IBM. It was also in this decade that relational database management systems became a recognized term. And for everyone else besides myself and Chris that had absolutely no idea what I just said, you're not alone, but it's important. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and even me. Like, again, I'm not the most tech-savvy person, but I'm also not illiterate when it comes to this stuff. But that just that's all just sounds like hogwash to me. <laughs> <laughs> in a nutshell... Two companies really, really, really helped move the database along and I'd automate stuff. Working together. <laughs> you get you get further when you work together, yep. people. That's just a lesson. In uh, 76, a new model called Entity Relationship was proposed, um, and it made it possible for designers to focus on data application instead of le- uh, logical table structure. Yay. In the 1980s, um, SQL, or Structured Query Language, became the standard, and I think Chris is kind of falling into... Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it sounds a little bit more familiar, but... Falling into a haze. (laughs) All right, I promise I'm going to plow through the rest of this. Um, Relational database systems became a commercial success as the rapid increase in computer sales boosted the database market and this caused a major decline in the popularity of network and hierarchical database models in the early 90s uh, after a database industry shakeout most of the surviving companies sold complex database products at high prices around this time new client tools for application development were released and these included Oracle developer power builder VB and others and that might sound a little more um, a little more current <laughs> to yeah, anybody yeah. who might be listening to this because most of the people that are listening to this were not born or living in the 70s. Right. <laughs> uh, Chris, do you recognize some of those at least? Uh, I recognize Oracle. Um, and that's about it. I just know it was one of the competitors when I was a telemarketer to fight. Um, I mean... I, again, you know, I, I use Excel almost daily at work, and it's just, yeah. it all just makes life a lot easier. That's that's the extent of where I'm using. <laughs> so in the mid-90s, um, we get the internet, right? Mm-hmm. Which led to exponential growth of the database industry, and average desktop users began to use client-server database systems to access computer systems that contained legacy data. Yeah. I remember AOL was a big one there, and I remember uh, AOL was collecting and selling your info for the longest time. Absolutely. And uh, 
I just remember my pops, he hated AOL to, to just, just because of that. Yeah. And as a kid, you know, you don't see any of that stuff. And I was young when AOL came you out. You see instant you know, messenger. Wanted, that's it. Yeah. I want the chat rooms. I want the games. <laughs> I want all that good stuff. Um, but thankfully, you know, early nineties, Yahoo filled that void for me. So, yep. well, so in the late nineties, increased investment in online business resulted in a rise in demand for internet database connectors such as front page, active server pages, Java servlets, uh, Dreamweaver, Cold Fusion Enterprise, Java Beans, and Oracle Developer 2000. Um, a bunch of other systems uh, brought open source solutions to the internet. And with the increased use of point-of-sale technology, online transaction processing and online analytic processing became uh, began to come of age. So when I was when I was doing research on this, uh, when I saw Dreamweaver in there, I just laughed and was just like, "Does anyone actually use Dreamweaver anymore?" Because I learned how to use it. I read this like I, way back then. The only thing I could think of was the song. Okay, yeah, I I, I learned how to use it in high school, really? like a very early version. Yeah, um, and it was pretty cool. And I was just like, I don't think it's around anymore. It was made by Macro Media, I remember. Um, but I did a quick search, and it's actually in the Adobe suite now. So huh. I'm guessing Adobe bought it out, and it's it's still a tool that people uh, use. The only thing I remember from the computers I, I had at school is Oregon Trail, mm-hmm. the busy world of Richard Scarry. Okay. The little, like the little worm in the apple. There was like a game that we played with that, and where in the world is Carmen San Diego? I was more of a word and number munchers okay. guy, so. <laughs> eat all those nouns up you know <laughs> oh so let's jump to the 2000s although the internet industry experienced a decline in the early 2000s database applications continue to grow new interactive applications developed for pdas point of sale. remember pdas yeah Jesus. wait no wait pdas pdas they're like the the little pocket they were oh my god yeah yeah it was like it was like the ipad before the ipad uh-huh. you had the little pencil and everything yep, it oh was like god. a beeper I actually and a cell phone that. combined into like that's what it became it was the yeah the pdas yeah. oh my god i actually did for, yeah. yeah well new interactive applications were developed for pdas point of sale transactions um and consolidation of vendors presently the three leading database companies in the western world are microsoft ibm and Oracle. And I thought you were talking about PDFs for a second. Yeah, you're no. like, remember PDFs? It's just like, yeah, yeah I remember PDFs. Yep. Like, Not public displays of affection, no, PD- those stupid little things with the pencil. God, PDAs, Jesus. That's a that's a blast. That's like a blast from the past. Mm-hmm. I like actually forgot about those. It's because they, yeah, they were like um, laser discs. PDAs and laser yes. discs are in yes. the same category. Oh, dude, I have a... Uh, I have a out no 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 out for justice, uh, Steven Seagal laser disc. That's the thing is sick. <laughs> so today, <laughs> databases are everywhere and are used to enhance our day to day life, from personal cloud storage to predicting the weather. Uh, many of the services we utilize today are possible due to databases. Presently, there are many new players in the non relational database space offering specific solutions. Some of the current relational databases include giants such as Oracle, MySQL, and DB2, but there are also new trends emerging that focus on making powerful technology accessible to everyone. 
QuickBase is an online database platform built on a relational database, which gives users any skill of any skill level the ability excuse me, to create custom applications using the power of a relational database, but with the simplicity of a point-and-click user interface. And there are also CRMs, or Customer Relationship Management Databases, used uh, by real estate agents, moving companies, essentially anyone who needs to keep their clientele um, in one location that allow the user to more easily navigate their contacts and continue to stay in touch with the people they have as clients, potential clients, and past clients. That's crazy. I mean, like, I work for a photography company, of all things, and you wouldn't think, like, that would be so technically advanced, but, like, we use seven different database technologies, at least seven, um, including time clocks, CRMs, accounting softwares, uh, you know, cloud storage, you name it. Like, we probably use it at work and it's it's crazy yeah i mean as as a real estate agent myself like that's crm is is one of the biggest parts of my business it it allows me to to stay in touch with all these different people that i have in the database make sure that i'm the one that they're coming to whenever they need something real estate related yeah following up and making sure you're not letting anyone slip through exactly so all that sounds pretty great and I use that term very loosely because it was probably <laughs> even drier than some of the other technical stuff that we've talked about in other episodes. But <laughs> it's the 21st century, data is readily available, and it makes life very easy. But we've left out some aspects of the database that, although very helpful in some instances, raise very troubling questions. One being fingerprinting. So fingerprints in 19, or I'm sorry, not 19, 1858, an Englishman named Sir William Herschel was working as chief magistrate of the Hooghly <laughs> district in Jungipur, India. All of those words I probably pronounced incorrectly. But anyway, in order to reduce fraud, he had the residents record their fingerprint when signing business documents. A few years later, Scottish doctor Henry Folds was working in Japan when he discovered fingerprints left by artists on ancient pieces of clay. This finding inspired him to begin investigating fingerprints, and in 1880, Folds wrote to his cousin, the famed naturalist Charles Darwin, and asked for help with developing a fingerprint classification system. Darwin said, go fuck yourself, and forwarded the letter to his cousin, Sir Francis Galton. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no man i don't know it just sounds like darwin had his darwin had, had enough shit full. on his plate yeah. it's like you know he, uh, so you know that whole evolution thing that i'm trying to develop um waste somebody else's time <laughs> right exactly i already have my own crazy project and you're doing swirls on fingers no 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 seriously i'm trying to disprove that jesus wrote a raptor which happened but you know whatever yeah <laughs> There's fossils that prove it. Exactly. Don't don't look for that source. We're not not going, we're not deep diving into that. Not today, anyway. Because (laughs) the the flat earthers and the, uh, what is it, creationists that believe Jesus Mm -hmm. and dinosaurs were around at the same time? Uh, Is it creationists? I don't remember. I I, I honestly don't know because they don't deserve the time of day because they're idiots. But if we ever do an episode on them, it's just going to be to mock them. So. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Galton was a, 
uh, eugenist who collected measurements on people around the world to determine how traits were inherited from one generation to the next. This family is like overachievers, by the way. Mm-hmm. He began collecting fingerprints and eventually gathered some 8,000 different samples to analyze. In 1892, he published a book called Fingerprints, in which he outlined a fingerprint classification system, which is the first to ever exist. The system was based on patterns of arches, loops, and whirls. All technical terms. <laughs> I would personally love to see that book. Yeah, me I too. bet you that book is absolutely wild I couldn't and find the whole horrendously. Book. No. I bet it's I bet it's horrendously inaccurate. Um, but that's the funny thing. Like in 1892, like that's as accurate as it was, yep. and just you know, 100 years of advancement, over 100 years of advancement. You know, we we just got that much better at, at figuring it out. I just I just love looking at stuff like that from the past. It's just yeah, it's really that's, that's what they knew it, and that's well, what they ran with. But the night the crazy thing is is that without that, we don't progress. Right. Exactly. Exactly. We just stay where we were. Yeah. So, speaking of progressing, Sir Edward Henry comes along, and uh, Sir Henry was the commissioner of the Metropolitan Police of London. He soon became interested in using fingerprints to nab the criminals. And that's where it starts. In 1896, he added to Galton's technique, creating his own classification system based on the direction, flow, pattern, and other characteristics of the friction ridges in fingerprints. Examiners would turn these characteristics into equations and classifications that could distinguish one person's print from another's. The Henry classification system replaced the previous system as a primary method of fingerprint classification throughout most of the world. It's impressive. He's just uprooting that whole other system yeah. and being like, no, no, mine's the one. Though, so. <laughs> just, My, mine does something. As Darwin said to his cousin, go fuck yourself, so did Sir Henry. <laughs> Yeah, right. The previous classification system. So everyone just wiping on that poor guy. <laughs> I know. So the Henry system finally enabled law enforcement officials to classify and identify individual fingerprints, which is great. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the system was very cumbersome. When fingerprints came in, the detectives would have to compare them manually with the fingerprints on file for a specific criminal. That is, if the person even had a record. The process would take hours or even days and didn't always produce a match. And by the 1970s, computers were in existence. So we jump 70 years, right? Mm -hmm. Computers are now in existence. And the FBI knew it had to automate the process of classifying, searching, and matching fingerprints. So for 70 years, this is how they analyzed fingerprints which is why in the Velisca Axe murderers, those friggin' morons over at the Velisca police, local police department had no shot, even if they did get fingerprints, even if they didn't oh, let the friggin' um, crime scene get utterly contaminated by over 100 people. Yeah, because, like, I, I mean, what, what, what would you compare it against yeah. at that point? So the Japanese National Police Agency actually paved the way for this automation which is interesting. They established the first electronic fingerprint matching system in the 80s. Their automated fingerprint identification system, or APHIS, which if you've ever seen an episode of um, NCIS, it's all they ever talk about. It's BOLO and APHIS. <laughs> Did you run the fingerprints through APHIS? Yeah, just put out a BOLO. Just two, cho- two top, uh, <laughs> top contenders. Exactly. 
So eventually, APHIS enabled law enforcement officials around the world to cross-check and pr- a print with millions of fingerprint records almost instantaneously. Dude, I bet that was a relief when that came into play. Like, everyone was relieved. There's no more being like, oh, hey, can you send down these fingerprints from yep. Miami to, to where we are? I got to sit here and put the two papers next to each other and compare them. And uh, Like, can you imagine comparing two actual, like, paper fingerprints, yeah. like, side by side? Like, the room for error must be astronomical. Well, I mean, but the room for error is just as astronomical. And this is, like, devil's advocate, right? So, like... Mm-hmm great now you can you find a fingerprint at a crime scene and it belongs to somebody who's in APHIS it doesn't necessarily mean that that person's guilty right but when this first came out it was like we got you we got your fingerprints yep Yep. (laughs) you know what I mean you're done for right it's like we got your fingerprints at the scene explain yourself and you know it was like what you were saying last week with the john mulaney thing blood gross clean that up now back to my hunch it's the same thing now with (laughs) now it's it's like this with with fingerprinting now right so like that's that's the trend that you saw in the beginning is and it's not again it's not with everybody there are plenty of amazing police officers out there there are plenty of amazing detectives out there there are super cops mm-hmm. that have f- solved some of the most difficult and, and horrendous crimes on the planet but the select few that have a badge and a gun that probably shouldn't see this and go hey i got your fingerprints my work is done right it's like it's yeah. making their life easier and they're not doing due diligence so that was something that was a problem when it first came out but APHIS collects digital fingerprints with sensors. Sorry, getting back on topic. <laughs> Computer software then looks for patterns and uh, minutiae points based on Sir Edward Henry's system to find the best match in its database. Back to the algorithm. Correct. This has also evolved into biometric scans that are used to catch criminals every day. Everything from eye scans, ear scans, voice, quote-unquote, fingerprints and dna are all used to catch criminals every day but the thing about dna is if you have a clean record and you go out and commit a crime and leave some dna lying around the cops can't use it just like fingerprints if it's not an aphis they got fingerprints but they got nothing else so the cops can't use it to track you down because you aren't in their system obviously if you become a suspect and they arrest you they can test your dna against what they found and if it matched well you're fucked yeah yeah And honestly, too, but I bet today, maybe with, like, hair and blood samples, like, you probably wouldn't get caught. But, like, if your fingerprints were caught, I mean, there are so many devices today that are just storing and collecting your fingerprints. Like, your phone is probably the number one biggest one. Uh, I mean, I use the fingerprint scanner every day on my phone because it's convenient. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'm, I'm sacrificing my... Uh, privacy for convenience yeah. at this point because uh, you know one touch of the, the back of my phone it unlocks it okay another one okay now i can access my bank account yep. oh i want to buy something okay fingerprint you know it's just you know they're selling that off well like, there's no way so that's that's what we're it's funny you should mention that because that's exactly where this is headed yeah so this is where it starts to get crazy kind of scary for the common person because dna today is not just for cops 
anymore. Right. Right? Yeah. Because think about this. Family tree DNA. I don't know if you've ever heard of them before. And by the way, if everyone, if, for those of you still listening after that dreary uh, technical explanation, <laughs> thank you for sticking with us so far. <laughs> um, but if you've ever heard of Family Tree DNA, they're one of the largest home DNA testing companies. And they're in the same category as 23andMe and Ancestry DNA. Same same service, yep. right, is provided. Ancestry.com. Exactly. Yep. So they're a company where you can pay them a fee. You get a tube in the mail. You spit into the tube until you hit a certain point of spit. And then you send it back to them. And they send you results of where your ancestors are from, what percentage of what ethnicities you are, and what even at this point it's what diseases you might be predisposed to, like diabetes or whatever the case may be. Um, mm-hmm. But what you might not know is what was in the New York Times article this past February. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the the, the craziest thing is like, I bet you. <sighs> User agreements, right? <laughs> they they have to have a user agreement, and I'm sure tucked away in that user agreement, they basically say, "Okay, you know what? I know it's your DNA, but we also own it now. Like it's ours. Like we're gonna we're gonna use it for whatever you we we like, whatever services we like, because well, you said that we can have it, and we we own it. Yeah, it's nuts. Well, family tree DNA." was working with the FBI, sharing their DNA database with them, and failed to disclose it to the public. And there we have it. (laughs) That's it. I mean, you know, like, I wish that shocked me, but we had so many trans... We have so many transparency issues in the USA, and it's really gotten out of hand and out of control. I I wish someone would do something about it, but... Uh, but we're just not really doing it. Uh, currently, I was I was actually looking to see if we're even working on it, and apparently we have a bill introduced to Congress currently uh, in June along the lines of this, but it doesn't seem to be moving along. It's uh, it's called the Corporate Transparency Act of t- 2019. Um, for anyone interested in looking it up a little bit further in depth at home, I, I'm not a very... Well, the, see, the problem with a lot of these bills is um, they always have something else in them attached to them mm-hmm. that makes them not pass, right? So, like, if you ever watch, like, smear campaigns and stuff when people are running for office and they're like, they voted to keep black people out of your restaurants last year. And you're like, wait, what? And, mm-hmm. when, and you dig a little deeper and it's like they voted yes for – like a bill that is totally unrelated to it, but just had that language dip. You know what I mean? It was like the bill has um, proposes to like give millions and millions of dollars back to education or something. Yeah. And like in the fine, yeah. fine print buried deep within the bill is like one line about something else that is just horrendous. Always, always. And, or just like a package deal. Yeah. Like you can't get one without you the You have other. to get all everything. Yeah, right. And obviously like crazy. my example is – you know, on the extreme side, but you know, that's, that's the problem is there's probably something in this bill that is so horrendous that people are going to be like, yeah, that'd be great. But F that noise. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yep. So, but what does it mean for you, the listener, the lay person? (laughs) 
Well, it means that even if you have never committed a crime, your DNA is probably in a law enforcement database of some kind if you've used one of these services. And what happens if you go someplace and maybe leave a cup with your DNA on it and then someone else comes in and commits a crime after you've left, right? But the only evidence is that cup you left in the trash. And now the cops grab the cup, pull the DNA, and because of your family tree or 23andMe or whatever, your DNA comes up as a match. And all of a sudden, you're suspect number one on a case that you were never even around for. A.K.A. Bullshit. Right. And here's where the conspiracy theories start. And here's where our zero amount of evidence <laughs> begins. It's all claims. Exactly. Now, it's I, all alleged. I've read this somewhere, and it could be complete and utter bullshit, but I've read it. And I don't remember where, and I wish I saved the friggin' article because you'd think I would, considering that this is what I do as a as a side project. But I read that with just two percent of the DNA of the population of the world, experts can find a familiar a familial match to anyone. Think about that for a second, right? There's what, 700 million people, or 700 billion people, right? Something on Earth. So let's, let's do quick maths. Okay, 700. That's 700,000. That's 700 million. I got to flip my phone. 700 billion. <laughs> <laughs> Times point zero zero. Nope. Zero point zero zero two equals... So if they get 1,400,000,000 people in the entire world to do ancestry, like from all of this, all these different services, if they could get that many people to do it, you would have a familial match to anybody. It's insane. That's It's just so... And I mean, I'm, I might have hit zero too many times. I don't know. You need... The room for error is huge. Right. You though. only need 2% is my point of the population yeah. if this is true. That's crazy. Yeah. Now, my question is, is this going to lead to a reverse effect of the Innocence Project, right? For those of you that don't know, the Innocence Project is are, are people that look into cases of convicted felons um, who were convicted and, and put in jail before DNA was really a mainstream form of investigation, um, relook at the evidence and see if there's a way to prove that the person that was convicted was wrongly convicted. So my question is, is this going to be, now that like your DNA is on file everywhere, is it going to reverse that where the DNA evidence is so overwhelming that people are just convicted even though they didn't actually commit the crime as opposed to I, the evidence said they did it but the DNA said they didn't. It's like a reverse. Right. right. Now, I've watched enough forensic files to know that, that it does happen. It does happen from time to time. The, you know, the DNA, DNA evidence will come to light and exonerate someone else. Um, however... A short answer is just going to be no, because it doesn't work like that. They're not looking to to. Our system's broken. 
they're not looking to exonerate people. They're looking to lock people up. But that's my so, point. if anything, that's... they're going to flip it the other way. No, but that's my point. It's a reverse of the Innocence Project. It's Right. It's they're looking for, oh, we have your DNA. Doesn't matter if you actually committed the crime. We have DNA. As opposed to the Innocence Project was you didn't have DNA. Now you have DNA, and it proves right. that this guy that you originally locked up isn't there. Now it's going to be, we have your DNA, who cares about the evidence, fuck you, go to jail. Yeah. Well, again, that's essentially what Forensic Files is, yeah. if you ever watch it. It's just, this was an unsolved crime uh, back back in the 60s. Now that we have DNA testing and matching, uh, we found the guy. Right. And uh, go figure, he's already in jail or whatever. It's just, <laughs> yeah. you know. So, but the the other crazy part is is that this whole thing, right, It's it evolves constantly. It's ever-changing. Mm-hmm. So, facial recognition is fast becoming the newest technology to be delivered to the masses. You have Ring, Google Nest, and Apple all utilizing facial recognition in their devices, right? You were just saying you use your fingerprint Mm -hmm. to unlock your phone. I use my face. Yeah. I look at my phone and it unlocks. And if you look at my phone, it won't unlock. (laughs) That's wild. I I read somewhere that... um that Bernie Sanders was one of the first politicians to actually publicly go against facial recognition. Um, and it seems to be getting some sort of traction as well. Um, I love Bernie. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, I did until he just buckles under pressure. So until someone tells him to stop, he'll, he'll, he'll keep going with it. I'm sure. Um, I, I digress. It's just one of those things where it's, I feel like we're it not is a political something. podcast. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like it's something that that we don't really need to move forward with facial recognition, well, especially right. against our wishes. You know what I mean? It's not something that should be right. Well, and but think about this, right? So here's the justifications. Mm-hmm. Apple uses it to unlock your phone, right? They're yep. saying it's it's more secure because no one has your face, face but you. Yeah. Google Nest has a new hub that sits in your home. And it constantly scans the room for faces so that it can optimize its features for whomever is in the room. Whoever, whomever, whoever is in the room. That's scary. Yeah, think about that. Every time you walk into a room, it scans your face. Then if you decide to use it, it takes it like it correlates that face scan with whatever you ask it. And then when you walk into the room, it lights up with something on the screen that it's learned from you. Mm-hmm. And then Ring can capture a pic of anyone and everyone that comes near your front door for whatever reason. Yeah. The postman, the freaking UPS guy, all of their faces are just in your ring. And it's getting yeah. sent to somewhere, and it's being kept in a database. Oh, 100%. And, and don't forget about uh, other apps like Snapchat. I never even uh, thought those, about Snapchat. Yeah. I mean, those, those when you're using those stupid fil- face filters mm-hmm. that are, ha, ha, this is so much fun, it's just scanning your face. Well, never mind and the fact thing, that everything, every picture you take in Snapchat goes to a server. Absolutely. Like, it doesn't matter. And same thing. It doesn't matter if it disappears, right, and you're, you're not taking screenshots. You're sending nudes to somebody. That's what Snapchat was for when you were in college and it first came out. Send <laughs> yeah, nudes. Right. I can't save them, right? But they're right. saved somewhere. Oh, yeah. We can't save them, but they're saving them for sure. 
And it's just funny because, like, same thing with Instagram, who's owned by Facebook, and we all know, you know, what they've been up to since the last couple of years. Um, and, <laughs> I hate, I hate, it, I hate it, Facebook. I hate that I love well, yeah. Instagram, but I fucking hate Facebook. <laughs> well, and then the newest trend, I don't, I'm sure you remember, was the WhatsApp mm-hmm. um, aging your face, <laughs> and then it just came out that that was actually. I guess Russian technology collecting your face and now storing it. So now this are foreign agents mm-hmm. with American faces and just storing them and saving them. I'm because so happy I never we did all that said, stuff. "Oh yeah, I agree." The same here, but just because we hit a button that said, "Yes, I agree to this," we're saying, "Oh yeah, no, go ahead and take our stuff." Yeah. And it's just crazy. So you know, um, it's it's just it's messed up. The only way to yeah, again, the, that's well, just the only way to get, saying, to like, get away with you, it. You, like, those user agreements are, are miles long. Mm-hmm. I don't know a single yeah. person who's ever read them. Not, no. Right? You just scroll Not all the way either. to the bottom and hit OK. Yeah, because you, you need to use whatever it is you're using yeah. at that moment. Never mind. By the way, never mind the fact that even before all of this, location services and settings oh yeah yeah like your cell phone knew your location at all times all the time every time (laughs) take a picture on instagram and it goes hey do you want to let everyone know that you're standing at this park no right i don't want you knowing that i'm standing in this park but (laughs) here we are well and snapchat does that snapchat's like here's where you took the picture here's where this Mm -hmm. person is if you look there's a map setting in snapchat where you can see where people are if they allow it but so think about this right we have family tree DNA selling your DNA information to the FBI. What makes you think that your facial recognition isn't being sold to the FBI or the government? What makes you think that your fingerprint information isn't being sold to the FBI or the government, right? Like, there's nothing, nothing. to discount that. There's nothing other yeah. than other than some FBI guy... That's like some patsy that just walks out and goes, "We don't do that." Like they didn't, yeah. they didn't take your DNA yeah, okay. from other companies too until they got caught. So you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, I'm sure anyone who was alive ten years ago when we figured out that the government was literally tracking our every move online when oh, the yeah. NSA came out, um, basically saying, "Yeah, we read your emails. Yeah, we read your messages. Everything. Yeah, we everything you've ever done." Calls. And we all went, what? And got outraged. And then they just went, yeah, well, there's nothing you can do about it. And we're going to keep doing it. So, and now everyone just, just kind of. So now everyone went, just doesn't oh, say bomb when they're. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing is become the new accepted reality. Yeah. And that's, that's scary. It's, it's crazy. So, but here's, so here's the speculation that I, I thought of as I was going through this, right? What if the government is behind all of this tech? to begin with because the government in and of itself has to be on the forefront of technological advances right like that's that's their yeah. job because right. of everything from military to me- to medicine to everything the government needs to be one step ahead of who everyone else so what if the government came out and we're like well we have dna testing what's the easiest way to get as much dna as humanly possible we let people pay 50 bucks and we tell them where they're from and they send us their DNA. 
We analyze yeah. it for them. We give them the results, and now it's on file. Yeah. And, like, the thing is, too, is, like, it, it, maybe not in the beginning this was how it worked, but I'm sure that they strong-armed their way into it somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and by strong-arm, I just mean money. Yeah, yeah. Every, everyone has a price, basically, is, well, when is you can, what I'm finding. When you're out. in charge of printing the money, it's, it's kind of easy to do it. Right. And uh, so, okay, I forget what the project was called, but basically, um, God, it was like 10, 15 years ago, the government was making its own private Facebook catalog for humans Mm -hmm. for them to use. They were cataloging people. (laughs) That's Um, crazy. Yeah, isn't it nuts? And uh, I mean, this this is pretty much a proven thing. Uh, Congress found that to be unconstitutional, obviously, and <laughs> shut it down. <laughs> well, it yeah. you think. But here's the kicker, is immediately after that, Facebook got a ton of funding, mysteriously, mm-hmm. and now has a website that you join willingly. And now, basically... <laughs> Basically, everyone is willingly making their own human catalog on on Facebook. Yeah, and I just think it's I just think it's too it's too much of a coincidence to be like, oh yeah, no, it, that got shut down, and Facebook's not like that. I mean, you can't prove the connection no. between the two. But also, but, like, are you a government level hacker or coder? Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. And they're in they're in hot water right now. We already know that they're sharing their data with the government. So, you know, like everyone is that's sharing their data with the government because the government's yeah. throwing money at them and giving them tax breaks. Zuckerberg yeah. doesn't give two shits. If you look at interviews or 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 anything with like Bill Gates, Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. guys like that, they tape over the camera on their computers. They tape over like all that stuff because they know know. (laughs) yeah yeah and these these are the the evil bastards that are running the ship that's our country you know with all these back doors and loopholes and it's crazy yeah it's so which begs the question right what's Mm -hmm. what's next because here's here's what i think is the next step with all of this stuff right so you have you have dna being sold to to the governments so that there's just an, a national database of DNA, international database right. of DNA, right? I think the next step is just chip implants. So, and they're going to present it, like they're going to present it in a way that is like, this is for you. You know what I mean? Like this mm-hmm. is for your benefit, right? What better way? Because you know how they have like those medical bracelets that have yeah. like all your information on them. I think I've seen actually seen this before somewhere, but like what if you just get this little chip inserted subdermally into your, you know, forearm. And now you go to the hospital and they can just scan you like a barcode and they have your entire medical history. Wouldn't that yeah. be great? Well, here's the thing is um I'm not sure if you're aware this is already happening. I figured um, so I read it somewhere. They put the chip right here in your hand between the thumb and the index finger. And basically, so this was a private company, I want to say in, it was either Sweden or Denmark or one of those super crazy, like, I guess, progressive countries where they're always pushing the... Super always, crazy, never been involved in a war, but really want to just do stuff. 
yeah, always pushing the envelope, trying to advance things. And like, I, I can appreciate that. Mm -hmm. But basically, this was a private company that was saying, okay, here's the here's the deal. We're going to put this implant in you. It's going to hold this information. You're going to punch in by running your hand under this this scanner. Um, it, I, I don't remember what else was was really happening with this chip, but I just remember it was like it was, RFID. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. And the thing was, is it was mandatory in that company to have it. You had to have it. And if you did not get it, you You got fired there. You don't work there. That's fucking crazy, dude. Isn't that crazy? That's nuts. Now imagine, imagine a job saying, you know what? Uh, Now that you work for us, you don't have control over your own body. And what we say goes, goes. And if we say you get a chip, you get a chip or you don't have a job. So figure it out. You know what? Yeah. What are a lot of people who who don't have the option They're of gonna just leaving going to do? They're gonna get the chip. They're gonna get the chip <laughs> against their will. It's crazy. It's yeah. It's well, insane. and and so like stuff like this. I, I don't know if you've, um, if you've seen a lot of of episodes of Black Mirror or not. I I'm, I've only seen the first couple seasons. I'm not like mainly because two reasons one is there's so much content out there right now that i just can't watch it all and Mm -hmm. i have more favorite shows than this but reason number two is because it's the the things that you see in black mirror are so plausible that they're kind of scary and they like they make you not want to watch it (laughs) Because it's like this yeah. shit could happen. There's an episode. Um, I, I think it might be like the first episode. I don't remember. But it's the one where like the prime minister of England has to like have sex with a pig. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is the first episode. Yeah. Or the girl's going to die. Right. They they mm-hmm. kidnapped either his daughter or somebody of, of importance. And if he doesn't have sex with a pig on national television or international television or whatever it is, they're going to kill her. Mm-hmm. So okay, so now the entire the entire country stops. They're all watching to see if this guy's actually gonna fuck a pig. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, thirty minutes before he even does anything, they let her go, and she's just walking the streets, and nobody yeah. finds her because they're all watching the TV. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, like, they're all focused on what right. what he's gonna do. There's there's another episode about retinal implants where like it records every second of every day. So that if, like, the police want to talk to you, you just sit there and they just rewind your friggin' day to see if you're guilty of something. Yeah. I'm sure you saw the one, uh, basically, where they're all living in an enclosure. um, And, you know, you get points for exercising. Yes. And then you use the points for uh, To buy shit. And then... And then you get jobs that uh, that are basically assigned to you. Yeah. Um, and I believe it, yeah, it all went to, like, one of the guy's friends got a job as in the, the music entertainment, but yep. then ended up being abused. It was a whole thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, like, the way you make but, money is to, like, play games or something like that. Or, like, yep. you, you exercise on a bike and, yep. and you rack up money. Or you play games and you rack up stuff. And, like, you use that stuff to, to pay for food. Yeah. It's almost like indentured yeah. servitude. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's wild. Absolutely wild. But like um, that – but what scares me is, is that's not out of the realm of possibility. Stuff like that no. is not out of the realm of possibility. There's like – there's one episode that really 
freaked me out because it was it was essentially just Instagram. Mm-hmm. It was like people are walking around with cell phones and having interactions with people, and it's a social networking app where it runs the world though. So like I I meet you and you and I don't have a good interaction, so I give you one one out of ten, and it drops your overall whatever your Rating overall as score yeah. as a person and it affects your credit score <laughs> like it so, affects whether or not you can you're allowed to get an apartment because that apartment's only being rented to to 8.5s and up and you're a 7.9 because I gave you a 1 so there's a there's um a joke in there something i'm sure well i, I don't know if anyone has seen it uh, I'm a big Always Sunny fan. I, love I don't Sunny. know if you've seen the one where they're all dating, and basically after the date they get a rating, um, <laughs> and everyone kept giving Dennis a one, and that was the whole "I'm a five star man" came from because everyone thinks he sucks, but in his mind he's the greatest thing. Yeah, and that's um, that reminds me even of Have you ever heard of Social Score? No, I have not. So Social Score is something that's actually happening currently in China. And basically what happens is uh, I'm sure it's no surprise that it's a mass surveillance state. That, that doesn't shock me. I don't know what it is, but that doesn't shock me. And not only is it mass surveillance cameras on every corner, but they're all facial recognition cameras. Of course they are. So they know who you are just by walking down the road. Now, basically people can either, either other peers, people, can see you acting badly in public scan basically take a picture of you their camera scans your face goes yep that's that's so and so that's jr over there um oh what's jr doing is he did he kick over a trash can because he was frustrated oh well looks like his his uh social score is going down and then basically almost like what you just said um it's like a credit score but for social interactions so if you have too low of a social score Places aren't going to sell items to you. You're like an untouchable. Places... Yeah. That's yeah, fucked exactly. up. Like, they're... places aren't going to hire you because they go, oh, well, now you're a risk to us because you have such a low social score. You don't what? act properly in public. This is, what... this, this, this is the culmination of exactly what – this is why this is this is just a conspiracy theory episode. This is what's happening. Right. It's actively right. happening. So it... – <sighs> that's – nuts man that's just the path that we're on yeah and 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 it's just gonna it's gonna keep getting worse because here's the thing is they keep marketing it as no it's good for you right it's good make for your the life end, better end result it's good it's good for jr it's good for chris it's good for but everyone if jr else. wants to kick over a trash can it's not good for jr <laughs> no and that's the thing and, and and honestly that's how they're that's how they're spinning it but it's not it's not it's, it's for not them. good for it's us it's entirely it's bad. good for them yeah right right so that's it's it's scary and it's crazy all at the same time. Yeah. Well, we will leave the rest of the speculation up to you, the listeners, um, because that's you know that's it for this week's episode. But that's the database. <laughs> that's what it's. <laughs> that's what it was and what it's become and and possibly where it's going. Um, it's going to keep collecting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's globalization is great, but the abuse of it is not. Um, but as always, if you have any urban legends or conspiracy theories that you would like us to cover, 
uh, please feel free to email us at f- the number four guys media network at gmail.com. Please make sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Click the like and subscribe icons on YouTube on the four guys media network page, or check us out on SoundCloud by searching M I O H pod, all one word. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next time on the mystery in our history podcast. Bye. See ya.